This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But the madman himself who swims with <laughs> sharks and whales because I guess normal life is too boring and you swim with prehistoric dinosaurs who... See us has nothing more than food and something to rip to pieces with the force of God. And, uh, but well, if I thought of it that way, maybe I wouldn't do it, but yeah. I haven't thought of it quite that way. And, but now we are just like all the good superhero movies, and eventually you come out with the prequel to go into the backstory. We are now going into the backstory with my okay. friend Paul. Please introduce yourself, though, for the new listeners. Hi, okay, Paul Myla. Um, Author of underwater, underwater photographer, scuba diver, um, ex-corporate guy. I, you know, had enough of corporate life way back when for a lot of reasons, and, and eventually just decided to make a complete um, lifestyle change. Not so much lifestyle change. My lifestyle didn't change that much, but uh, what I was doing, I changed. You know, that's uh, what I was doing day to day, and what I wanted to accomplish, and going forward. And I didn't want to check out and leave something on the table I didn't get to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, if I recall correctly from our first two episodes, which everyone can go find, and you also write, uh, you also write books. You have a website, and I'll put all those in the description as always. But from what I've gathered from the last two times we talked, you know, we talked about sharks, and then we talked about whales. And I remember asking mm-hmm. you for a third episode. I was like, I just kind of want to go into what your corporate life was, and you were like, Well, what do you want to know? I just. I kind of like to just wing it, and we've sure. touched on it a couple times, and it's it's banking, it's something about, it's kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that makes my current life easier, but that I don't know anything about. So let's just go into it, and I guess I'll jump on to whatever part interests me the most, and then we'll do whatever. Okay. Well, you know, I, I had a few corporate careers. I mean, I was, um, you know, I started off um, in, in, like, like uh, retail banking, I guess. Call it. I you know, had an um, BA and MBA degree from St. John's in, in New York and went into banking and um, got into different phases of, of business. And uh, I kind of got attracted. Well, I was trained as an economist. That was my, that was my um, uh, degree, MBA in economics. So I was actually a corporate economist at Chemical Bank for several years. Love that because I like to write. I like to do analysis and things like that. So that was, that was a lot of fun. It was pretty cool. And then... Um, yeah, I wanted to try something different and uh, got into, I had, I had a, I'm kind of like organized along a certain way, I guess. I was pretty good at systems type work. I'm not a techie, but I was pretty good at those kinds of things. I, I, I became like almost a bridge between the techies and the business side of an organization. Okay. Um, and eventually uh, fell into something at the time called home banking in the, in the, in the 1980s when com- home computers were just about getting to be semi-affordable. I mean, back in the 80s, a home computer, if you could do something with it, because there was no internet, would cost about $3,000. So in today's dollars, that's probably you know, ten dollars or $15,000, $20,000 maybe, you know. And uh, other than maybe putting your uh, recipe on <laughs> online somehow, not even online, on, onto your computer and printing it when you wanted it, there wasn't too much to do with a computer. You know, they were, they were clumsy. They were, you know, I had to use all kinds of floppy disks to boot, boot the computer up and things like that. And, and there was no internet, no email, you know. Um, so a lot of banks at that time thought that home banking was going to be the wave of the future. Get rid of the brick and mortar. Uh, people could bank from home and stuff like that. So Chemical Bank at that time uh, was one of the first uh, to have that vision. And uh, they came out with something called Pronto Home Banking. And they thought they could uh, kind of franchise it to other banks. It was Crocker Bank in California and a few other banks. And um, they thought they could sell it. Um, so we got this, this system going. And a key part of it was the bill paying part of it where you could pay bills, which was really almost unheard of at the time doing that from your home. Um, one of the stumbling blocks, well, there were two, a, few, a few stumbling blocks. One, computers were expensive. Uh, so you couldn't do much with them. So you, there weren't a lot of comp- uh, people with computers. Uh, so Chemical partnered with Atari to come out with a home, com- a low-cost computer that could do this kind of stuff. 
the other thing that proved to be difficult down the road was that other banks, competing banks that Chemical wanted to work with, didn't want to have their customers' information residing on Chemical Bank's mainframe computer system. It was kind of like a competitive thing. So, there, you, so you had these stumbling blocks that caused it to kind of like not go very, very fast. Not to mention, in those days, uh, if you and I wanted to pay Macy's $25 each, well, Macy's could receive 50 bucks, but they didn't have the, the there was no uh, protocol in the uh, in the transmission to know that Tommy was getting 50 and Paul was getting 50 as a credit. They'd give the whole 50 to, each, to one person. So you had these kinds of problems, you know, they had to be ironed out and we had to develop these electronic protocols and interfaces to make this all happen. So it was really cutting edge back at the time. Today, you know, and it was all what they call DOS, you know, disk, disk operating system stuff, you know, which today's kids have no clue what that's all about. You know, they don't, they, they don't have to, you know, everything is easy now. So it was really rudimentary stuff. And looking back, it was kind of like the dinosaur age of computing, but it was a lot of fun. So that's what I kind of got into and um, stayed with that till almost to the end of my career in, in different organizations. So when you look back at some, so sure, yeah, it seems like it seems archaic, but I mean, you know, it's you. We're standing on the shoulders of that. So I mean, if you look back at the Wright brothers or some biplanes, you go, eh, it's. But I mean, that that's what led to you being able to watch a movie in business class as you go to Tokyo on a seven forty seven. So when you look back at that, if you, I mean, granted, it's always difficult to put yourself back in that mindset because now you know what you know. How is it viewed? How were other people looking at it? Was it, you know, was it, I can look back and go, man, if I could go back in time, you know, that's what I'd bet on. But at the time, how did people view it? Were there people, were there detractors? Like this is some pipe dream shit or were there, was everyone? It was a tough sell for a lot of reasons. One, again, computers were very expensive and they had limited use other than doing a few applications like this. Um, So, you know, you had certain people who were like, we call them the early adopters. They, they, they plunged into it, you know, but there weren't enough of them to really make it successful. At the time, it was, it was a tough fall. Companies who tried this were losing money for a while. Uh, it took a long time for the, for the market to, or the technology to catch up with everything, you know. With, uh, but in those days, it was very difficult. And a couple of stories. People thought when they were scheduling a payment on their home computer, it was electronic end-to-end. Oh, no. You were scheduling electronically, but the back end was all paper-based. We were, we were cutting checks you know, to, to these organizations and was going out as a check for when people, and then a lot of times these checks would wind up in God knows where, because now the, the companies weren't getting their standard little form that you would normally include with your own check and the little return document that they could feed into a, what they call an OCR reader and it would get credit automatically. They're getting this paper check that they had to manually enter into their system. So you had people waiting to the last minute to make their payment because they knew it would be electronic, they thought, only to get late notices. And dunning notices. So a large part of the operation was uh, bill payment uh, customer service where we were fielding calls from angry people saying, you're ruining my credit rating. Oh, my God. And one of my favorite stories was some poor guy who finally got a, hate, a date with this hot chick. And he made his payment to Jamaica Water Supply too late because it was on his electronic home computer. He thought he could do it, do it late, only to have his water get cut off the day he was going to take a shower to go see this girl. And he was calling us to say, can't you get the water turned on quickly? I'm supposed to have a date tonight. I can't take a shower. I put out the whole day working hard and stuff like this. We had these calls all the time. You know, it was amazing. So so, so that that almost seems like I'm just trying to view it as like a like a parallel. Like, right, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm 31. You know, Tesla first comes out and it's like, oh, electric cars, this is some pipe dream shit. And then it kind of works and the people are still, well, it works, but do you have a battery charger? You know, we, don't, we have gas stations across the nation. What about? But as it moves forward, just step by step, little bit by little bit. Now we're here and Tesla's the most valuable car company. I mean, they're a, they're a step. I don't have one, but I love riding in them. They just feel like the next. It's the difference between a, like a, a touchscreen iPhone and a flip phone. You go, oh, this is the new thing. But there's a lot of little steps on its way. So I'm trying to draw parallels between. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tough sell. Those that do use it are like, it has all these hiccups. And it's, mm-hmm. but it's led to this. So I guess what I'm trying to paint is, how does it change your view on kind of breaking technologies today like you've seen this you've seen the tough sell the difficult adoption Mm -hmm. the the bumps in the road 
but then it, all of a sudden it's here we are and it's the norm. What are you looking at today? And you're going, oh, they think this is a tough sell, but I now know in 30 years, X, well, Y, Z. You raised, you raised one of the perfect ones, which was, you know, the mandate now to end the internal combustion engine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Where we have no infrastructure and it takes four hours to charge a car. I don't want to go on a long trip and have to stay awake, hang out for four hours while the car is charging, if I can even find if you can uh, a charging find, station. Yeah. So you look at the, uh, I guess the, the big picture is the infrastructure. You know, back in the early days of what I was doing, there was no electronic infrastructure to facilitate all these payments and all these electronic um, messages. That came about. We had to work on these. We had to convince people that, you know, the, the market's going to be there. So it's, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, you know. Uh, so they had to have enough faith that they were going to adopt these things and think, you know, it was going to pay off, which they did. That's, it's always a tough sell to try and uh, convince uh, the people who have to put up the money to make this happen, that it's going to happen. You know, so uh, today, like you know, like, like you said, you know, the, the electric cars was one of the um, uh, the big um, uh, best examples. You know, uh, you have other uh, examples too in, in terms of the um, you know electric grids and things like that, and solar power and wind power and all this kind of stuff. Is it going to really replace you know oil in your oil burner or gas in your gas gas heater? You know, um, you have to convince people have to have a vision, uh, and they also have to be you know in a capitalistic economy. Uh, at some point, they have to project a profit motive or when they're going to yeah. be able to break even and make money. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is that it's like everything will arise kind of around it. And it's like, well, how do we go out west? Well, I don't know. People think there's gold out there. Well, people go there and someone's got to sell food. Someone's got to sell cowboy boots. So the little towns pop up. And then all of a sudden it's, well, how are we going to get out there? We can't have everyone on wagons. Well, then you get railroads. And granted, they're built with Chinese slavery, but you eventually get out there. And it's over 200 years. It's like, oh, that, that's just California, you know, sea to shining sea. But it's like, for a long time, that wasn't it. Now, what were there other things at that time that were also hard sells? that you saw flop and you go, okay, well, not everything is a good idea. Yeah, Some make it through. Time, one of the biggest flops was pay TV. The hell's that? <laughs> well, there you go. There you, yeah. there you go. <laughs> they, they thought that we're going to get people who would pay some kind of a, a subscription fee for some kind of programming, you know, well, um, Netflix. And there was, you know, you know, this was before, you know, and there, was, there wasn't much programming to sell people other than, what was free all over the air. You didn't have the infrastructure that we have today of cable TV and, uh, and satellite TV and stuff like that. So, you know, pay TV, I'm going to pay money to, to see a television program where they can get it over for free. Or, you know, we had our 13 channels. What else did we need? You know? Okay. Okay. I, I got you. Yeah. No. So it's, yeah, it's not, it's not like Netflix. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And that it's, it's the infrastructure didn't exist to do that sort of parallel. Yeah, you, had, you, had, you had your antennas, you know, you, you, you go through a... Look at an apartment complex, and you see forty thousand little antennas on the rooftops, and that was how everybody was getting their stuff. You know, I'm going to pay somebody to put a cable in my house. I'm going to watch a few channels. What's, what's going to be on there? Like, you, know, um, you know, that was that was that was a long vision to, to be able to take place, which we have now, which we take for granted. So, as someone that pretty much grew up with the internet, I mean, I was born in 1990. You know, I by the time I really start having like formative memories. I've kind of felt like the internet was like, I remember AOL messenger. Like I remember like, yeah, I, I do remember early, early like internet accessibility. So for all intents and purposes, I've grown up with it. I'm grown up in the internet era. Yeah. What we had was what they call direct dial up lines. In other mm -hmm. words, all these, all these, all these banks had to pay with what they call T1 lines. Um, yeah. Where when you called it, you didn't, you didn't go into the internet to get to your bank. You had to dial into the bank directly. Uh, which created, you know, contention for lines, you know, line capacity and bandwidth and those kind of nonsense, you know. Um, so, yes, that's what you had. You know, you didn't have a lot of the stuff. And when you mentioned e email, 
you know, I, I can remember the first time that we had like corporate email. I can send a message. I'm in my computer, uh, cubicle outside. You mean I can send a message to the guy in the cubicle next to me or the office down the hall? Oh my God, this is wonderful. Let me type in, hey, Joe, how are you doing today? And I'd stare at the screen and all of a sudden the letters would pop up. I'm fine, Paul. How are you doing today? Wow, this is amazing. You know, no, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, email. I, I remember in fourth grade, me and my friends used to send emails to each other before school. Just, just because we could now talk before, and we are on opposite sides of the town, and we go to. Did you get my email? I got your email, and it's stupid shit. Like, hey, are you going to recess today? But it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy because here's this thing that we're in our own homes talking to each other on a screen, and it's not with the voice. So you seeing that whole thing come on. I mean, there's not many more crazy things you can live through than like before and after internet. I mean, like flight. I don't know, that maybe maybe penicillin, like, you know, the phone. Yeah, cell phone. I mean, cell phones are just, you know, we talk about, uh, if you want to talk about a, a new product, not new today, but a, a product that changed people's lives, the cell phone is pretty much a great example of, of changing people's lives, how you do things, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. I remember even being in school, we used to learn about the Industrial Revolution. Wow, I guess that's over. What's next? I mean, what, what's left? You know, everything's been invented already. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so you. You know, I've. You know, I've, I've, I love that argument. That it's like the like the cell like the affordable cell phone with an affordable data plan has altered society more than any amount of bombs or artillery could. Like it's the way it just yeah. sort of dissolves existing. All of a sudden, nothing matters anymore. It's like oh, you have a wall around your city, but I have a phone. And it's just, it completely, it just nullifies it. Yeah. What do you look at? What future thing do you see as, so like, I don't have any of those existing experiences of like, that's a tough sell. And then I see it come to fruition. I mean, maybe I see, like, I did start listening to Joe Rogan before his podcast was even a year old. And I remember thinking, I was like, oh, this guy's having three hour conversations and they're just shooting the shit. I was like, this is, and that was, that was my junior year of college. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is going to be big. And I was right. What other things, just looking at your business experience, do you see as like another sort of tsunami coming where you're like, this is going to demolish the status? I mean, is it AI? Is it? Um, yeah. AI, AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. That That's, when, when machines begin thinking for themselves and they can fix themselves, program themselves, express their wishes, whatever that might mean, you know, uh, that, that's the, you know, the human uh, mechanical, I don't know, not, 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 mechanical, mechanical is probably the wrong word, mechanical sounds old, but the human uh, technical interface, whatever it's called, sure. that, that's a biggie, you know, um, or, you know are we going to control machines or are they going to control us? Yeah. You know, a few years ago, I said, well, that's a stupid question. We're always going to control machines. But then you see what these things can do. Yeah. Uh, first, you know, just the mechanical aspect. Have you seen some of these things on 60 Minutes where they show them jumping around, like, you know, almost Boston like a semi Yeah. And then you read about how they, they're able to repair themselves in some cases and, and do various things. You know, some of these Mars rovers, if they have a problem, they can actually fix themselves and stuff. So, you know, I think about the movie 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, where we had uh, Hal. By I'm the way, sorry. I can't let you do that. Do you remember? Do you ever think about where the word Hal came from? Why they named him Hal? No. Okay. Hal is spelled H A L. Hal nine thousand. Okay. Yeah. What's the letter after H in the alphabet? I. After A. B e, M. After L is M. I B M. <laughs> you know, I was thinking. You know, Al Gore cl claims to invent the have invented the internet, right? Which obviously is bullshit. But yeah. I was thinking, man, you know, what's the one thing everyone talks about? The algorithm. It's the algorithm. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I heard that one. Okay. I think I made that one up. I'm proud of that one. But um, yeah, it's it's it seems like that's the next thing sort of coming. Where because I was so I was thinking about this the other day. There's this like there's this like this AI. I think it's called GPT. It's like GPT-3, and it's the third iteration of it. And uh, it's not like a robot like Boston Dynamics. Like it's a, like a supercomputer. It's like a stack of servers somewhere. But it has, it has like, a, like a constructed image. So it's like me. 
It's like mm-hmm. an average of like all the races, and it's like a guy, and he's just talking. It looks like he's in an office. It's not like there's no actual robot. It's just a computer generated thing. But it's he's like the and he's like ten times smarter than GPT two, who's ten times smarter than GPT one. And the first ones were kind of like eh, but GPT three you can find videos where podcasters will actually like schedule podcasts with GPT three and just kind mm-hmm. of talk to it. And it's starting to kind of get the hair on your neck where you're like, you know, if it's very intelligent, right? It's like Alexa. You can ask, you know, like, what is the weather in Singapore? And it can tell you, right? Okay, sure. Well, that's that's mm-hmm. impressive. But with enough processing power and, you know, access to data, well, anyone could do that, right? Give me enough time. I'll tell you what the weather in Singapore is. But it's starting to do this. There's like this other level to it where they're like, you know, what does it feel like to be a computer? And it's like, well, I am not a computer. Although I am based on software chips, I am no different than you who is based on proteins in your brain. We are both entities. And it's like, what did that thing just say? Well, that got me thinking about like telemedicine, right? We're seeing telemedicine right now with uh, COVID. Well, what if you had a, a, a thing that was based on like the Mayo Clinic's like that, you know, physician's reference. What if you were able to take the smartest doctors and create an amalgamation of the hyper doctor and then that was just a server somewhere? You could now have world class medicine for everyone in the world. Everyone could talk to the best psychiatrist at any given it could be as easy as, hey Siri, you could you could literally pull it up, be like, I got to talk to my doctor. And it could be a doctor that used to only be accessible to people with a ton of money and resources who lived in the proximity of this doctor. How is that going to change the world when all of a sudden everybody can just pull up their phone and, you know, not WebMD, but actually get world-class medical feedback from mental care to I have a chest pain to my diet. How is that going to, is it going to dissolve the existing world that we see? Well, what's interesting about what you're, ta- what you're kind of touching on is that you're almost like talking about storing consciousness. Sure. And, you know, then what is consciousness? Yeah. I mean, we, we've always talked about us having a soul, that, that's, our, that's our conscious and stuff like that. And, and I sure hope we have souls and things like that. You know, because if you think about people, when they talk about when, when people's brains don't work properly, okay, Everything seems to go. There's nothing else but, the, you know, the brain seems to control everything. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping we're more than just a bunch of synapses and neurons that happen to be connected, you know, in a certain way that produces what we're calling consciousness and the soul and everything else. Because if it's nothing more than like almost electromechanical or electrophysical, it gets, gets kind of scary. And then you wonder what you can do with all that. Where, where, where can you store that consciousness? Where, where does it go? What can it do? It's kind of kind of scary. Yeah, and it, it can kind of bring on like a depressing nihilist attitude. I remember I kind of had that experience while studying biology in college. I was like, well, I was like, if we're all right, I'd be sitting there and I'd be like, I'm tired. And I would just like a normal college student, not at all. I would, but I would do things with myself where I would literally, I'd I'd get up like a word document and I would write about how I felt right now. And I'd just be looking around and be like, weather's this, I got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then I did this like 10 times in college. Like the first time it was like I took like a like a Red Bull and I drank it quickly and I waited five minutes and then wrote how everything changed. I was like, oh, I can hear the birds chirping. You know, I'm like high on caffeine. And then I did one where it was alcohol. I did one where it was NyQuil. I did one where it was weed. I, I was doing all these j- just and it kind of started to make me sad because I was like, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Am I, you know, what is this? This is a cup of gasoline. What is this? This is a match. Put it together. Now we have light and heat. Here's baking soda and vinegar. And it's, I started to look at things. I was like, is this just, you know, one plus one is two? Is it really just, I'm just prodding these proteins and folds and there's blood and electrophysiology. And and then I add this and now I'm awake. And then I add this and now I'm tired. And, you know, I fall in love and there's dopamine and I'm, everything's beautiful. You, yeah, well, you have a, more than chemical, chemical yeah. reactions. That's what I, reactions. I started to feel like that. And I, that made me depressed for a couple of years. But 
now I start to look at it more like I love the idea of are we just receivers, right? If I all of a sudden just punch through my iMac, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't kill Paul. I didn't kill Tommy's podcast. I just got to get a new computer, but the internet's still there. If I break my car radio, that didn't destroy the radio station or the, right. the, the airwaves. It's just I'm not receiving that anymore, which then got me – because that falls in line with – well, if you tweak a radio, it's still, you know, just chemical mat. You're just changing things. Is this just the radio? Are we just receiving this thing? And sure, it's it can be destroyed or it dies and you experience it as, oh, you know, my grandma passed away. Or you experience it as, oh, I'm sad and hat. But do we, the I, the self, does that get destroyed? Or is that just picked up by another receiver? Yeah, I mean, what you, you almost get to, to the point of asking, what is self? Well, well yeah, that, well, that's what is self. You know that, I mean, there is no deeper question. I mean, when you look at um, uh, what's the I'm drawing a blank here. When uh, you have the children who can't process, what's that called again? Um, when they just kind of are kind of blank. Uh, um, um, you know, um, oh, what's the name of <laughs> autism? What kind of autism? Yeah, Down syndrome. No levels of autism. What autistic um, kids? Who have difficulty processing the world around them? They, they need quiet. They need this. They, they know what. What is all that? What is that all about? I mean, is it just because they have certain electrochemical receptors in their brains that aren't working properly, or is it something else? You know, it, it gets you to wonder about a lot of these relationships as far as how we perceive the world. Do we just react to the world, or do we act on the world? You know, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, you know, is it what's controlling that? Yeah, is autism or other mental illnesses? Are those like an old TV where with the rabbit ears and you got to shift them? And it's the TV still works. You can still get yeah. Walter Cronkite, yeah. but yeah. some of them maybe need a little more care than others. And that would still fall in line with it doesn't violate the idea of like we do, you know, you can add caffeine or alcohol and change it. But you have to. I mean, is, is, is how we perceive the world, does that, does that control everything that we then think? Like if, you know. Absolutely, it does. If we can't hear properly, if we can't see properly, if we can't process the input, what happens to the input if we can't process it? You know, yeah. does this get stay jumbled in our heads and then doesn't come out the right way when we want to try and make it do something? Or you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's yeah. You're not getting it all, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's like this idea that like all consciousness is it's like the sun, and like right now I'm in a dark room. And you could stay in a dark room for your whole life. You might even forget what the sun's like. You have artificial lights. You have a heater. And it kind of simulates everything, right? You can look at pictures of flowers. And then one day, like, you you notice, like, a, some light coming through the wall. And you open it. And you're like, oh, yeah. And you step outside. And all of a sudden, you're in a field. And the sun's on your skin. And it's warm. And the sun was never not there. You were just cutting yourself off from the experience. It never went away. Right. If it's a cloudy night or if there's light pollution, you can't see the stars. Stars didn't go anywhere. A street light does not make a distant star disappear. You just mm-hmm. can't see it. Right. You have to start wondering, is that what the soul is? Is that what God is? Is this this are our lives temporary, you know, changing the channel right now? I'm experiencing Tommy and this is just it's just a shift. I'm just looking at mm-hmm. something through a different lens with a you know different filter. But the actual light source can that be destroyed? And you know, it's it's I mean, it was written in the Bhagavad Gita like five thousand years ago. But I was just watching a thing the other day, some guru in India, and he was like, everything in front of you, like it might be an illusion, like you might be in a dream, you might be in a simulation, you might be a brain in a vat. But the one thing that isn't erroneous is that I am. Now, am I really talking to Paul? Am I just dreaming right now? Am I having a fever dream? Did I take a nap and Paul's calling me going, dude, what the fuck? We're doing an episode and I'm snoring in my bed. Or are we actually talking? Or is this just a dream and I don't even exist and there is no earth and 9-11 didn't happen because it's all a dream? Maybe. But I still am. I am here right now. There is something. The I exists. And that is melted all the way down. You can't go farther back than the self. I am. Right. And it's once you stem from there, man, I mean, I don't know how we, we well, we started with corporate banking and. <laughs> well, 
the other thing that you were touching on also that got me thinking too was that we talk about uh, us here perceiving what we perceive when you talk about a parallel universe where you theoretically have parallel universes existing side by side not knowing the other one is really there sure. which one is the real one which is you know so you get into these real to heavy topics that you know i kind of like zone out because i said i don't have the mental equipment to really figure this one out but it kind of like causes you to think about it well that's one thing i love about that stuff is i love meditation because it's kind of like working out mm. i mean you go into the gym and someone says bench press 500 pounds you can't do that but if you start doing push-ups, I mean, and you just do it every day for a decade, and all of a sudden you're throwing around some weight in the weight room, and you're like, huh, I can do this now. Well, that's why I like meditation. That's why I kind of like pushing those boundaries. You can't do too much at once because you'll lose yeah. your shit, but yeah, yeah. just a little bit. And so it's just like right now, we're just kind of pushing up against it. You know, what is the self? What is reality? What is AI? Is AI any less real than us? Because then you start to, like, building a muscle, you're expanding what you see as theoretically possible, right? right. I mean, that's what someone had to have, that, that boundary of, what if we could pay our bills from home? Like, someone had that initial kind of wacky thought. And, you need those people. Well, that's what pushes it forward. Is you just yeah. you push it forward a little bit at a time, and then the rest of society kind of catches up, and they do all the groundwork and the infrastructure. But you yeah. have to be able to, you know, Elon Musk has to go, let's go live on a different planet, right? You have yeah, to have you, that. You have to kind of overcome what I would say is inertia. In other words, mm -hmm. you, know, you have the status quo, and to push that status quo somewhere, you're, you're pushing against the mass of what, what is yes. at that point in time. And you have to get that, it takes some strong personality or personalities to get that done. Um, and that's, I guess, why we have certain people who are, you know, who they are, who, you know, the, the people who break the mold of, what we're doing yeah i mean it's um you know it's like joseph lister joseph lister had the crazy idea that you know we should clean wounds with alcohol before we start operating on them yeah as, as a civil war doctors were operating on open wounds with dirty hands yes he came to the united states there's a fantastic book called the butchering art by um um lindsey fitzharris and it's all about this and you you hear about like medical school in the 1800s There'd just be rooms with people. There'd just be like severed hands and stuff and just like just blood and pus everywhere. They would wear the same gowns every day, like like a like a painter's like a garment or something. It would just be sticky with blood and pus. But they didn't. They were just like, yeah, it's whatever. And then, you know, he started going like, hold on, I'm having these I'm doing this stuff where I'm like cleaning patients with alcohol. I'm giving them chloroform and they can't feel the pain. He came mm -hmm. to the United States and went on like a, tr you know, back before like TV, he went on like a train tour, kind of like Harry Truman. He went on like a train tour and talking to all the top physicians in the United States. He was laughed out of town. They're like, the hell are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea that something you could barely see with a powerful magnifying glass let alone a microscope, mm -hmm. something that small could, could, could have a negative effect on the human body. Yeah. A, a revolutionary concept. Yeah. Yeah. And then imagine the idea of, you know, global armies marching against each other. And the thing that ends it all is someone took an atom and split it. That's what stopped yeah. the, that's what stopped the war. It wasn't our destroyers and our waves of B-17s and men right. storming D-Day. Nope. It was, it was something you couldn't see split right. and that's what ended it that 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 always got you kind of to cross back to what you're talking about is you know do we actually affect the world or do we just perceive it and it's gonna be a weird segue but like steve jobs said like one of the most important moments in like an entrepreneur's life or an inventor's life is the moment that they realize that the world and that society isn't static it's not like oh the sun rises and the sun he goes no like little things like you can create your own. Now, he describes it as when you push something and something else pops out and then you go, oh, I'm actually a player in the game. I'm not just watching TV. I'm part of the conversation and I can shift it and manipulate it. And then that opens the door to you can create Apple. You can create a trillion dollar corporation. You can change the world. Now, if we take that jump and this is, you know, stretching here, but the you know the double slit experiment where if someone is viewing an electron right it acts as a wave and if they're not viewing it it acts as a part or vice versa but the idea that conscious observation affects what weight what form this electron has is it a is it a probability waveform like a wave function 
or doesn't mm-hmm. collapse into a definitive particle, right? The not poly exclusion principle or whatever the theoretic, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So let's take Steve Jobs and now let's kind of take it with the double slit experiment. Is there a, is there a quantum 2001 a space odyssey? The monkey grabs the tool, bum, bum, you know, that and moment, that moment, moment where of enlightenment, uh, the, you, the world just sh- forget the internet. Mm-hmm. The monkey just discovered the tool. What a, it's, you know, it's on par with the, you know, the fish growing like limbs and coming out of the water. Yeah. Is the next, you know, boom, 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 is the next moment when we go, wait, can we change the physical world? Not just with, you know, I can push stuff, but I mean, truly, if you start focusing on things, if you can collapse a waveform, what if you start imagining anything? Is that the next... I mean, is that the, is that the monkey using the opposable thumb where all of a sudden we go, oh, forget tools. Our observation is a tool. I mean, is that it? Is that the next? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two aspects to that. One, I've always wondered what makes that monkey different from other monkeys. Like, what makes Steve Jobs different from other people? Yeah. Otherwise, we would all be doing this. Yeah. You know, there are these people who have that vision and either, you know, there's the strength to push the vision ahead, which is remarkable in and of itself. Everybody does. People say, if it gets too tough, they kind of say, oh, well, heck with it, you know. But just stepping back, to, to have that vision, what what makes that one person able to have that vision and, and most of us not? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. The other thing, to your point about changing the world and stuff, uh, I was, I was doing uh, thing I was watching one day about, you know, the environment and, you know, how, you know, people are, you know, messing up the world and stuff like that and how we got to this point. And... They were saying it wasn't too many generations ago where human beings or a human being felt, how could I ever impact the world? Yeah. In other words, negatively. Like, like it, it, it's, it's been a, all of a sudden uh, a breakthrough for, in a kind of a, maybe a negative sense for people to actually affect the, the, the planet. If you take your average caveman who had, was way back when was only concerned with surviving to the next day, the fact that he might, you know, somehow change the world by doing by his actions change the world like we're changing it now today, that was so far beyond people's consciousness to say humans can actually warm the planet, they can affect the weather, they can do this, they can do that. How could that be? But you know, here we are. You know, and, and that was something that just you know was never never occurred to people fifty years ago, hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Yeah, I remember listening to Joe Rogan saying that years ago. He was like, if you went back to like early 1900s to some Rockefeller guy and you know they were lobbying against trolleys because they were like we want more cars because cars have to use gas if you had gone up to them you know these guys with top hats and you know obviously there's color but you know I just imagine it's all black and white if you went up to one of them and they're like hey I know you're pushing for more cars because it's your profit motive but if you do that you're gonna kill polar bears They'd be like, "What the hell what? are you smoking? Yeah, huh? Get out of here! Get out of my office!" Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's what's happening. Yeah. So nobody's dream that humans or could have that kind of effect on our our, our existence, our world. You know. So. So what are we doing right now? That is the equivalent of because a car, a Model T, burning gas back in 1900s, we're emitting the same molecules. It's not like we invented some new reaction. Right? I mean, we had the catalytic converter, but it's still creating the same carbon monoxide, CO2 that we're doing today. I mean, a caveman, technically, if he started a fire, was creating CO2. So mm-hmm. it's the same. It's kind of like the sunlight analogy we used earlier. If you're locked in a house and you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. The same CO2 is there, right? Just because George Washington didn't know he had a double helix DNA structure doesn't mean mm-hmm. he didn't have it. So what are we doing right now that is killing polar? Or well, it doesn't have to happened. be it doesn't have to be negative. It, what, it could be a positive thing. What are we doing right, right now? But back then I think they thought everything was pretty much infinity. There was there were no finite finite limits. Okay? Yeah. Today I think we realize we have finite limits to what we're doing. You know, the single or a few model T's burning out, you know, just uh, emissions. Well, okay, so what? Nobody dreamed that you could have like 50 million of these things, what would that do? Yeah, that was, a, you know, that, that kind of thinking wasn't really there. And that gets you to thinking, the one thing I've been thinking about is uh, when you get to the capacity of our planet and things like that, 
uh, we are really like lifeboat Earth. You know, there's, we're on this thing, and there's, there's no other lifeboats around us. If this, if this doesn't work out, you know, we're not going to the to Mars in time to save the, you know, our, our population or the planet, or whatever. You know, and that gets me to thinking, at least, about capacity limits. Yeah. Like you know, um, you know, what do you do? And here's the analogy: you ever see an old-fashioned movie? Um, uh, one of the movies was called Lifeboat, I think, whatever, where you have a lifeboat with a capacity of 40 people that already has 50 people on it, and then you got another 60 people in the water saying, can I get on the boat? You know, you have to you have some tough choices to make. And I think that's where we're headed with, with, with this planet. I think you're absolutely correct, right? I mean, it's right. The no, lifeboats. It's kind of depressing, but, you know. But it's also reality. I mean, but it's right. It's the lifeboats in the water after the Titanic. There's mm-hmm. all of us in here, and there are all these people freezing mm-hmm. to death, hollering out. But either some of us survive, and most or of none. us die, or mm-hmm. none. Who gets to make that choice? And ultimately, yeah. it comes down to, it's probably force. Yes, that's what you get down to. You know, the people in the lifeboat grab those oars and pound the other people as they get off my lifeboat. So, if, you know, that's, that's kind of scary. But that, you know, unless we make some tough choices as far as population limits, other limits, or whatever. We have we I think we real, we realize that we have a finite capacity to to support what we want to do here. And, and, you know, I'm, it, I'm not smart enough to, to figure out the answer to that right now, but it, 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 it you know leads, leads to some interesting conclusions. Well, well, that then goes to oh, if you're a billionaire or if you're the government. Well, what do you have? You've got a Cheyenne Mountain. You've got a nuclear bunker. You've got weapons. You've yeah. got hey, if we have to, you know, we'll you know when shit hits the fan, we'll see what's what's real and what's not. But then that has to get you thinking as to like, how does that, how does that shift? Is this is this just a natural progression in you know? I I, I try not to look at like humans as we're just humans. You know, there's a beginning and now we're here. I try to look at us as like one, one long Earth like Earth-born life forms, like carbon-based life forms. I kind of look at us as like one long extension, and they're mm-hmm. just like there are. You know, there are short white guys or tall black guys. I also look at it as like there are humans, but then there, as you know, and there are whales and there are snails and there are birds. Is is pushing the capacity of the planet? I mean, there's there's divergent roads, right? One is population control. Another is depopulation. Mm-hmm. Another is we're all dead. You know, there's a climate feedback system. But this does this also push for selection? Does this go? Oh, let's let's we got to get to Mars. Or, or, and then this is one thing I've thought about a lot is, you know, you, you, you look at some like Ray Kurzweil and he's like, you know, the population will go to 10 billion, 20 billion. And people say they, the planet can't, uh, the planet can't hold it or provide for it. But the reality is, is like, there'll be, there'll be technologies progressing at the same time that will allow even greater crop yields and it'll actually match. I tend to think that it will be something we didn't even see coming. Right. It's like if you look at go back to the night, there's like this magazine article from the year 1900 and it's predictions of the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And it's everyone will have a personal hot air balloon and like firefighters will have like these mechanical wings. And it's like they were wrong, but they weren't. Everyone does have personal transportation. Everyone does have access to flight. We don't have firefighters with wings, but we do have 747s that can drop water on a forest fire. I think that we will go forward, but it won't be in a way we thought. It won't be that we'll have these vertical farms, but more so, you said it earlier, well, what if we all merge with machines? And all of a sudden you have a machine with my consciousness on a silicon wafer that's powered by sunlight or nuclear energy now all of a sudden you don't need to grow carrots anymore. You don't need the Great Plains. You don't need food trucks if we're all on a computer that can run off one nuclear power. And all of a sudden, well, then what's the limit? We could have a hundred trillion souls if they all existed on a hard drive. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can put them on there, but but yeah, but, but, but yeah, but to, but, to, but to your point about technology kind of bailing us out, it has before. Because I think way back in the now I forget what if we're talking the 1800s or the 19s or the 1700s the Malthusian theory theory or something like that that James Malthus predicted that uh, the human race would die out because we could only support so many people with with our food with, we could only grow so much food for this this many people he was thinking in terms of whether it was 1700s or 1800s that that kind of technology saying nope this is all this is all food you can produce well guess what to your point. 
uh, technology kind of bailed us out, we're able to have crop yields way beyond what people dreamed about in, you know, several hundred years ago. So we've been able to support a much larger population than anyone ever dreamed of who, who, who did some forward thinking back way back when. But I don't know how much, you know, can technology keep doing that when you have like, you know, it's, it's tough to put, you know, 10 gallons of water into a five gallon bucket at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, we could go back way before the 1700s. I mean, go back to like the caveman. He's got like his wife and kid. And he's like, this cave is big enough for us three. We can't bring in a fourth person. And then all of a sudden we have like a community and it's like, well, yeah. us 10 can hang out together, but we're not going to be able to kill more meat. And then it's the monkey picking up the tool. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it went from, you know, a couple of cavemen saying, this is all we can provide for to now it's, I mean, our country, we're not even the biggest country in the world and we've got 350 million. Like yeah. it might very well keep bailing us out. I mean, why wouldn't it? Now, that might be time for some tough awakenings where you do hit like a critical feedback limit, but it also might drive selection. It might drive, you have to go to Mars, right? You have to go to the moon. And then once we do that, I mean, that might be the next, that might be the technological bailout where all of a sudden we go, oh, we've got nine planets in the solar system. We don't need to figure out interstellar travel yet. We found nine more Earths right here. We'll just, you know, go. Now, now you get into like what I've seen a few times on some of these old space movies where the, the, the folks who are visiting us had that problem and they've, oh, they've discovered Earth. You know, they were looking for a place to go to and look at this. This is a, an inhabitable planet. My goodness. Well, how, well these, these, these pesky humans are here, but we can get rid of them. We'll kill know? them real quick. So, you know, it's, um, you know, we could branch out to the solar system or the solar system might, might find us first. Might branch out to us. I mean, hey, you know, in British imperialism in Africa was, <laughs> well, that was 200 years ago, man. And, I mean, we're still doing it today, right? We go in with yep. the International Monetary Fund and we build all this infrastructure that we know they can't pay us back for. And then when they default, we go, ah, just give us, you know, rights to your cobalt mine. And then all of a sudden we're in there and we're raping and pillaging this land, but it's for our own, it's for our country. So what do we care? Yeah, man. Well, who says a UFO doesn't pull up and go, Ooh, you guys got some oceans. You guys got some timber. But again, I think that might be, we're looking at it through our own lens, you know, in the future, everyone will have a hot air balloon. We might break away from the need for organic food. I mean, if, if let's forget even uploading to a computer, let's just say a little, let's say, let's say I get like an artificial heart and some artificial lungs and whatever, and all my organs are artificial. Well, they're not running on carbohydrates and, and fat. It might just be, I have to plug into the wall. Well, it's a lot easier to provide, right? Nuclear energy, right? It's the analogy I heard from a nuclear fusion scientist that I interviewed was to take X amount of energy, you would need... 300 coal, 300 train cars full of coal per day for a whole year, and you get X. For a nuclear reactor, for a fission reactor, mm-hmm. you need one half of a train car full of enriched uranium ore for the full year. So 300 train cars per day for a year versus half a train car for the whole year. And that's a fission reactor. A fusion reactor, you would need one milliliter of seawater for the whole year. So that might be technology bailing us out. If we just shift our, because what is food really? It's a power source. So if we shift our power source to, I mean, if the whole world was running off wood stoves in in your living room, yeah, we'd run out of wood, but we don't do that anymore. Now we plug into the wall, you have a radiator, right? So it might be that we just completely sidestep it to where, oh, you don't need to eat anymore. We're all solar powered. That that could you know th- those kinds of aspects could be now you touched on the one with with food and how we power our bodies. I don't know you know we we can power we we have alternatives to figuring out how we're going to heat ourselves like you just touched on you know we go from wood to whatever we're gonna you know uh, as far as you know whatever our human bodies need in terms of carbohydrates protein proteins and things like that. Um, I don't know that you can change that equation you know um, with our current physiology. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we have uh, we invent a new human down the road that doesn't need all these carbohydrates and proteins and whatever and fats and things like that to to to, to live on. 
Um, but unless you, unless until you do that, I, I don't know. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky thing. I don't know if you're going to be able to have the resources to provide for an ever expanding population like that. You know? And you're right. I mean, yeah, that, that multi-billion year old system of proteins and carbohydrates and lipids, that might be a lot harder to update. We didn't update the telegraph. We built a new technology entirely. Right. That might be AI. It might, yeah. it might be, oh, like something will continue. It's not going to be humans. Like it yeah. might be something that from the ground up runs on silicon and electricity instead of, you know, bread and meat. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> then, then to complicate factors, when you talk about selection or natural selection or unnatural selection, who gets to be the selector? You know, you have all this, this is a big social aspect now. You know, how do you determine who gets to go to another planet? You know, who gets on that rocket? Is it like, you know, we take one third of this group, one third of this group, one third of this group equally, or more of one group than another group? I mean, those are battles that we're probably not going to be around and have to fight, but, you know, somebody's going to have to figure that out down the road. When you're in the lifeboat and everyone's screaming, do you go, we're going to take a third of those people, a third of those people, or do you go, I'm on the boat, I have the oar? Yeah. Who has the weapons? Who has the nuclear bunker? That's who's choosing. Well, you know, not not to go over into military aspects of it, but I've heard that right now, you know how the you know, military simulates war games and things like that. They've been working, I don't know if this is, we're talking CIA, military, or some other phase of the government, but they've been working on these plans based on, uh, well, actually been, it's been accelerated because of global warming, but it's, you know, they see where people live and where there's not going to be any land anymore, where are these people going to go? You know, and I've heard that they're, you know, working on, when I say working on, I don't, I don't think it's come to any conclusions, but trying to figure out, okay, what do you do? What do you put all these people? When, what if you, if your country's maxed out and now you have people whose lands are now covered by water want to come in and you, you know, perfect lifeboat analogy. Well, is there any more room to let them in? Do you want to let them in? Or do you just say, sorry, folks, you know, figure it out for yourselves. Um, you know, look at the, the paper today. We, we, we have these, you know, 3,000 Haitians in Texas. We're putting them on planes back to Haiti where they don't want to go, and the Haitians don't. So we, 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 have, we can't take care of these people here. You know, that, that's, that's a very small scale, you know. But I think what I've, what I've read is that the government in some kind of, when I say secret, I have no, I have no idea what, what that could be, but is is working on this from a global perspective. And I don't know what conclusions are coming to. It's going to be the haves versus the, it's going to be the universe is indifferent. The reality is indifferent. You know, Mm. we look at it as everyone should get a shot. It's going to be who's closing the vault doors, who Mm -hmm. has, who has the, the 50 cows pointed at the entrance. That's Mm -hmm. what it's going to be. And, yeah, I mean that's exactly what it is. Everything's going to shift. Everyone's going to migrate. It's going to be so. There's either we're either going to select for a new technology that's going to save us, or we're rapidly appro- approaching the an, a mass extinction of humanity. And then you have to start wondering: Is this some feedback loop? Is the Earth as a living biosphere was COVID just the beginning? Is it going to hit us with another one? Is it some feedback mechanism where it's like you're destroying everything and there's no one consciously doing it, but it's like almost kind of like swatting at a fly is the planet just has mechanisms to where it releases COVID. It release, And as the situation gets more desperate, so does the planet. So then mm-hmm. it releases Ebola mixed with smallpox. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting aspect. Like, you know, it's, um, does the planet have some kind of consciousness of its own? Yeah. It yeah. Is it just a feedback mechanism? Or is that nature or is that God? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it conscious or is it just a feedback mechanism, right? Yeah. I mean, if a forest fire goes long enough, it just burns out the fuel. No one said end the forest fire. It just stopped burning, right? I mean, clearly there were forest fires before humans ever existed, and they eventually mm-hmm. did stop. Why'd they stop? Well, they burned through everything. It was just sort of a natural limit. Is that something the planet does when there's too many people? Is it just a, it just goes 
and just shoots it back. Here's Ebola. Here's smallpox. Here's, I mean, who knows? I mean, the answer might be that big asteroid that's on its way here that won't get here for another thousand or two thousand years. That solves a lot of problems. I don't know which one you're talking about. Have you heard of uh, Apophis? No. It's that? coming on Friday the 13th, April 2029. Oh, okay. It's going to be between us and the moon, which in cosmic terms is that's like a, a bullet miss. grazing your hair. Yes, that's, that's a near miss. Yeah, well, and the thing is, is we're not entirely sure it's going to miss. Okay, I haven't heard about that one. Yeah, Apophis, A-P-O-P-H-I-S. What's scary is I, you know, they, they they track these things, you know, in space. They can see them coming and stuff like that, you know, for the most part. Uh, especially because when they're taking time lapse photography of, of the yeah. stars, and they can see, you know, there's a wait a minute, that little dot now is like it's a it's a dash. It means it's moving someplace, whatever. What they can't see, I read about, are the ones that are coming head on, directly head on, because there's no dash, there's, there's no, no parallax. Yeah, just there's a little dot that maybe it gets bigger as it gets closer. But they're not going to see it until it's too late. Is a head-on shot coming at us? Now, is that going to be the solution to our problems? Make everything talking about academic? I don't know. I mean, maybe we I'm look at solution. maybe we look at the solar system as like a whole entity. You know, from the Oort cloud all the way in. Maybe that's one cell. I mean, if you look at like the sphere of the Oort cloud, it's like you know, super far out, way past Pluto. Over basically the sphere of like ice and rock pieces, the solar systems on the inside. I mean, that might be one cell, right? Like a cell, just like a spherical cell. And the galaxy might be an organism. And it, that's one of a hundred billion cells. I mean, right? We have a hundred trillion cells in us. Who's to say it's not one cell? And the the cell itself, there might be some weird feedback mechanism for you know, the asteroid might not have been an accident. It might have been the cell is going, something is disrupting on this planet, and it's, you know, so it throws in this asteroid, and it's... Well, now, when you talk about the uh, the, you know, the universe and the cosmos, um, and you talk about the theory of, not, they're not theories, but black holes, they do exist, and everything goes into it, and there's some theories that say, well, when it goes in, it's coming out on the other side of something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I guess that's when you get into like parallel universes and things like that. I don't know. Um, well, then it, it kind of comes down to, but it really all of this comes down to the self. Is it doesn't, well, am I dreaming all of this? Is this all real? <laughs> and if it is just, if, if I am just a receiver for this, then what do I care if this personal radio that is me breaks down and doesn't make the cut and I'm not allowed on the lifeboat or whatever? But that's not destroying the actual music on the airwaves. It's just that radio has gone, which means right. that not only will this one, this 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 model, this radio model called Tommy, not only will this one eventually break down and die, mm. but that also means that, well, if I can't die because I'm just a signal being received, that means I also wasn't created with this thing. So if I buy a brand new radio today and turn it on and I hear, you know, Stairway to Heaven, I break it and now I don't hear it anymore. I didn't get rid of the song. But what that also means is the song was playing before I turned the radio on. Is that reincarnation? Have I been here before? Well, now you're touching on something else that you wonder about, you know, um, when, when the lights go out, do they really go out for good? You know, or... Do you like I was I was talking about not talking I was reading a, a thing about a cancer patient. She was talking about it was a cancer patient who knew they know she knew how much time she had to live. You know, one of those things that she knew her time was limited and she's gonna make the most of it. And she said something very interesting that that it kind of stuck with me for a long time. And she said, "I don't fear dying. The process of dying, I'll, I'll handle that. What scares me is not existing anymore." Like the consciousness all of a sudden that going out physical death yeah physical death like you know it might hurt maybe it won't be over whatever but do i then does my consciousness go away do i just not exist she was having a tough time perceiving herself as not existing anymore uh, just you know in other words you know that's it and that, that's no sure yeah no and i've thought about that a lot 
through meditation over the last like decade is and like really the 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 most kind of conclusive point I came to was it's not it's not death like the lights going out if I turn out all the lights in here all the lights are out mm-hmm. but I'm still here experiencing darkness if the actual consciousness goes out you can't experience non-existence it's not an experience you know falling asleep like I leave this world and I experience a false world and then I wake back up into this world that's not the same as prior to August 7th 1990 when I was born you know how did it feel to not exist it was it Mark Twain who said I don't fear death I didn't exist for billions of years and it didn't and I didn't you know it wasn't harmful at all I never heard that one yeah well well what was it like to exist during the the T-Rex you don't know what was it like to exist with Abe Lincoln? You don't know. So it's it's not an experience. It doesn't it doesn't exist. So that's that's and I mean, obviously I you know I don't mean it to sound shallow about it. I mean because I'm not not that I know of. I'm not facing terminal illness. I'm sure it's a you know a terrible thing to approach. Um, but I don't know. You know it, it's uh, I've, I've had him on here before several times. Doctor Eben Alexander, who's a Harvard neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally a Harvard brain surgeon. I mean, like, it's, it's comically intelligent, right? That That's like, what? A, who's the smartest person in the world? I don't know, a Harvard brain surgeon. He's literally a Harvard brain surgeon. But he fell into a coma in, like, 2008 or something. And he had, like, a 1 in 300 million chances of surviving. And he survived. And he was in this super rare form of infection where he just kind of lights out for, like, seven days. And he came back, and he went into it as an atheist and came out just... It's going like, oh, I experienced heaven. And they were doing like EKGs and MRIs and fMRIs of his brain. They're like, there was no activity. But he remembers those seven days as the most vivid of his life. Like mm. experiencing the universe and all its different levels. Which makes you have to start thinking like, is this just the radio? Are we filtering this? Are, mm. we, you know, are we manipulating it? And it's like what Aldous Huxley said about the mind at large. When he was on, you know, writing on mescaline, he was like, it's a, he was like, the mind is like, the human mind is like a, like a faucet for like a huge matter, like a pool, like an above ground pool. It's a faucet. And like, we limit it in certain ways. If you destroy the faucet, well, then you just experience pure, it's just pure water. There's no, like a sprinkler, you can put it on different settings. If you break it off, it just, it's pure water. It might not be that when this is destroyed, you experience nothing. On the contrary, you might experience far more than you ever could. Yeah, that's, that's possible. I mean, but now I, you, uh, the more you're talking about that, I'm thinking about what you were talking about earlier about putting us on a chip or something. You know, if our self, what is our self, okay? What is the self? If, it's, if the self is the uh, amalgamation or conglomeration of all our, our physical you know, or, or synapses and things like that that are in our brain. And you can take all that and put it onto some kind of a chip or a, or, or something mechanical or not electromechanical, computerized, whatever. Does that continue to think after our physical body is, you know, used up and gone? Like you've taken that, that, that conscious, all those conscious uh, electrosynapses that were probably stored in some kind of cells and you store it in a different format on a, on a chip or on something, right? While it's on there, is it thinking? Is it is it sensing anything? What's it doing? You know? Ultimately, if everything is just the self, then the computer trip was always just an illusion. The body was an illusion. You were never actually here. I guess we're not here. <laughs> on that, let's wrap this one up, Paul. <laughs> well, we started with at-home banking, and now we're at the greatest question of life. You know, I am, I think, therefore I am. Works for me. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, when you have that conversation, you go, fuck it, I'm quitting. I'm going to swim with whales. What does it matter? What does any of this shit matter? I'm going to go swim with sharks. The water's beautiful. <laughs> Don't leave anything on the table. If our self is a conglomeration also of our experiences, our life experiences, I want to pack it with as many experiences exactly. as I can. Exactly. You know, I guess we'll have different experiences that we want to accomplish. And I think the other thing is to go do them.
what you can. If I really don't exist and nothing is real, then yeah, why go be a doctor when I wasn't happy? Screw it, I'm going to make a podcast and do whatever I want because nothing matters. There you go. <laughs> Until next time, I'll text you. We'll have another one. That was fucking fun. Okay. Mr. Paul Maya, thank you very much for coming on. I think we both blew each other's brains. I'm a little kind of dazed right now. And, uh, I'm going to go have a margarita. <laughs> I, I think you're right, man. I don't think that's a bad... What does it matter? What does it matter? It's nothing... <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. But I guess on, on a closing note, it's a lot of people when they talk about kind of this experience like we're having right now, they say it's depressing because nothing matters. I look at it on the other side. You're free. Nothing matters. You're, okay. You're free. It's beautiful. Thanks. There's nothing more beautiful than realizing nothing matters. No worries. No exactly. Worries. Don't worry. Be happy. Paul Mila. I'll put okay, the, I'll put to the links to your books and uh, your photos and all that good stuff in the description. And uh, I'll text you. We'll set up another one. And uh, great. thank you very much, man. It was a great talk. Thank you. I had <laughs> <had> fun. <laughs> Me too, man. All right, Take Paul. Care. Take it easy, buddy. Recording yeah. stopped. Peace.